checking out the overcoming chronic pains uh, just a little just a little intro before we get into the video or the audio version of the episode here there were some technical difficulties while we were recording and broadcasting this so there's going to be some awkward uh cuts uh somewhere around the 21 minute mark the 28 minute mark um those are just going to be the times where the uh, broadcast was abruptly halted and then started back up again so um if you feel like there's an awkward thing there there probably is because that's it, it broke um but uh everything in the podcast is great give it a listen be sure to rate review and subscribe and please wherever you're listening to this please comment like share uh especially comment i want to know what everyone here thinks who hears this or sees this thinks of the podcast so please feel free to message me on whatever platform you're viewing this on consuming this on or check out overcoming pt at gmail.com all right we should be live all right well uh Anyone listening out there, this is Caleb Van Voren uh, here with the Overcoming Podcast, uh, episode three. Uh, I'm here with special guest uh, Aaron Oates, uh, all the way out from Australia. Uh, it's pretty, pretty freaking exciting. Uh, I love Aussies. Uh, I, uh, I spent the night with a band once a few years ago uh, out of Australia, and uh, and they were they were a hoot. Uh, and so everyone I've met has been great, and I think Aaron. Aaron's pretty similar. Uh, if this is your uh, first time joining us, then uh, be sure to catch us here every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time U.S., twitch.tv slash Caleb Van Voren, all our social channels uh, at OvercomingPC. Uh, if you have any questions, you can contact me at OvercomingPC at gmail.com. Uh, and wherever you're listening, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, talk to us. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. So now that we cut the boring housekeeping stuff out of the way, uh, we'll go ahead and introduce Aaron here. Aaron is a uh, project uh, sales manager, sales manager with a hardware kind of house building uh, uh, firm, which I think is uh, is pretty exciting. So uh, tell us a little bit about that, Aaron. Oh God, um, I started in the this, this industry uh, twelve years ago. Um, and I, both, I was with a sawmill for 11 years, and I've come across to a store by the name of Mitre 10 here in Australia. Um, but basically, I'm in the, the estimating and design space. Um, I, I did study architecture a few years ago, and I've grown ever since. Um, I did start my own little business a few years ago as well, so my eggs aren't in one basket, but um, I, I'm definitely <laughs> fulfilled. I enjoy what I do, and you know, I'm, I'm grateful for every day that I can, I can keep doing that. That That is... Really amazing, hi Aaron, and uh, actually, that that's that's pretty amazing. Especially, uh, I know uh, a little bit of the unique experience that you have uh, because uh, I suffer from uh, genetic disease, uh, same as you, uh, VHL, von Hippel-Linnell syndrome, yes. and uh, and I know the unique struggles that can come along with that. And so, um, as part as part of kind of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely some. Uh, you're, uh, you'll be speaking at the uh, upcoming uh, SNOG event, I believe it's called? Correct, yeah. It stands for Sydney Neuro-Oncology Group. Correct, yes, that's what it stands for. So Sydney Neuro-Oncology Group, I uh, have a charity ball once a year. Um, and my neurosurgeon um, rang me uh, about six weeks ago um, after my latest surgery. So, you know, you see your phone ring from, you know, your, neurolog your, your neurologist or your neurosurgeon rings you and you think, holy crap, you know, the, the last, you don't like seeing a phone number come up from your neurosurgeon. <laughs> um, it's not. not an enjoyable experience because they normally ring you to tell you bad news, not good news. Um, so we made the proposition and he, he pretty much quickly asked how I was going, but the reason for the call was to invite me along and have a chat about uh, my story, my condition, uh, VHL, which is pretty, pretty rare here in Australia. I can understand it's a bit more... Not, not as rare in the US and the Europe, but here in Australia, there's probably only a few families that have, uh, have that mutation. Oh, yeah, definitely. So they wanted me to get up on stage because I'm only 29 and I've, I've basically gone through about nearly 10 procedures now. Um, I've overcome a lot and they just wanted me to, they didn't want the surgeons, they don't want the oncologists, they don't want those, those people going up on stage, they want the actual people um, 
that they've experienced that have been through it to go off and, and share their story about you know how the, the advanced how the treatments have advanced um, how recovery is better okay. all things like that so um, that's what they invited me to do and yeah I jumped at the opportunity yeah that that is an amazing opportunity especially to speak uh, for VHL patients uh, even here in the US it's uh, yeah. it's about one in a one in ten thousand people uh, have the mutation mm -hmm. here and so which amounts to about thirty six thousand people uh, in the US yeah. which um, I'm sure it's a bit more than, than in Australia, but, uh, but yeah, even here, like, uh, I can't count how many doctors I've had to explain that, uh, what, what my condition is. Like when I show up and they look at my medical history, uh, it's, it's insane. Write a, write a book and give it to them because half the time that's what you need to do here as well. You, you need to pretty much have a script and give it to the doctor because a lot of doctors, um, may not understand the disease and then misdiagnose you. Um, I've seen it happen. Um, my own mother was misdiagnosed oh, half a dozen times at least over her lifetime because they didn't know the condition. And there's a lot of doctors over here that don't know it. So yeah. it's all about education and self-awareness and um, being, uh, <laughs> being patient, I suppose, is, is a big thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Trying to find the right doctor is important. Yeah, I was, I've been relatively lucky in my treatment uh, because my grandmother... Uh, was correctly diagnosed, and uh, and so was my mother, my aunt, and my uncle. Uh, and so I was yeah. tested relatively young, uh, and the diagnosis was confirmed. And so I've been receiving uh, preventative care for the, the majority of my life. Uh, but but a, a good point about that is people, you know, when you do have kind of a rare condition, or even if you you don't know what you have, a lot of times the doctors, you have to be your own self advocate. For anyone out there who is struggling with something, uh, that's a really, really big point. Is that you have to know what, like you have to research, like if you've been diagnosed or you know you have something, you have to know what you're talking about when you go into a doctor's office because um, a lot of times they may not, and uh, and so you have to be prepared to really self-advocate for what you need uh, in that regard, and then and just self-advocacy in general. Uh, doctors want to help you, but. Uh, Particularly here in the U.S., I'm not sure what the medical system uh, works like over in Australia, but um, a lot of them are paid by how many patients they see. And so it's not that they don't want to help you, it's that uh, they're predisposed to looking for the easiest solution. Uh, and so always always be a hardcore self-advocate. Um, and if you have a spouse or significant other family member, bring them along too so they can help, because uh, it can get tiring if you're on your own. Um, Oh yeah, I can agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's the same over here. It's all about the amount of patients. Um, you you don't want to be a conveyor belt where they just get one patient in, one patient out. Um, you really have to be careful who you select as a someone who can take care of you and manage you. Like I've had to um, instead of when when my mother my mother was alive, she did have a doctor or a surgeon who managed her condition ever since she was pretty much just over 18 years old. So they, they man, he, man, he was with her for 30 years until he did pass away. Um, and But they had to find a younger doctor for me because obviously I wanted something and they wanted someone mm -hmm. to, to grow with me um, as I got older instead of just going through a different surgeon every time I had something wrong. Oh, so yeah. I've been with the same uh, surgeon or the same doctor for the last 15 years. Oh, yeah. I'll hope to be with that person for a long, long time to come. Oh yeah, yeah, it is definitely how how pow amazing how powerful continuity of care can be. Uh, my sir, neurosurgeon is uh, Dr. Meyer out of the Mayo Clinic, um, and uh, he's performed uh, both my procedures, my mom's procedures, my aunt's procedures, uh, and my sister's yeah. and my uncle's. Um, and he actually did my aunt and I at the same time uh, on the oh, same wow. day. Uh, because uh, she had an acute onset and uh, like amazing neurosurgeon, but the continuity of care there is just is top notch. Uh, when you can when you can find someone that that knows your case inside and out, and so when you go in there, they know your history and you don't have to explain it. Um, so it can be a long story. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. So um, before we uh, we trade uh, war stories on uh, on VHL for the next hour. <laughs> which I know we could. Uh, kind of the main thesis of this podcast, uh, for anyone new who's listening, um, whether this is, uh, you know, you're, you're going back through, I'm on my 100th episode, and you're just like, what was he like on episode three? Or, uh, you know, you're actually here listening to episode three uh, broadcast. Um, it's all about, uh, I'm all about finding people who have 
had things in their life that have challenged them. Uh, it's not always something like this, which is, it's a genetic disease. Um, it, it might be an addiction. It might just be some, uh, maybe some abuse that they suffered as a kid. Uh, even just an invalidating home environment growing up or an invalidating relationship that they've had. Um, but the thesis of this is, is finding people who have struggled in their lives and found a way um, to overcome that struggle or to at least battle that that struggle if it's an ongoing one and uh, and find success despite that uh, so that other people uh, might hear those stories and and see that they can do it too and maybe learn what they can do and so in the spirit of that uh, Aaron uh, I, I know as a as a long-term uh, VHL patient there's going to be a lot there but uh, but could you kind of uh, discuss what your biggest uh, struggle has been uh, how you've Ooh, overcome 100%. that yeah how you've overcome that uh, or are overcoming that on a daily basis um, and, and what success you found um, kind of to spite that struggle oh my biggest struggle um, would, would have been when I was probably about 21, 22, I'm 29 now. Um, my biggest struggle was um, having spinal tumours um, and trying to get through that and trying to find the right surgeon to basically keep me going. Um, I had issues with spinal tumours since I was about 16, 17 years old. Uh, there was a tumour in my lower spine, L1, L2, um, that hemorrhaged, basically, I think it's called hemorrhage, but it, it, it bled into my spine and caused a lot of pain through my spine and my legs and things like that. Um, it did, I did recover, um, it took a few months mm -hmm. and basically years later um, the symptoms came back again. I had another tumour in uh, T5, T6 in my upper spine, my thoracic spine. So I had the tumour in my lower spine, the tumour in my upper spine and things weren't good. Um, I've seen, I remember the day where I rung my neurosurgeon and he basically told me he's happy to operate, uh, but he said, Aaron, you, you may not walk after this operation, mm -hmm. and which, which pretty much scared the shit out of me. You know, at the <laughs> end of the day, you know, I was a, I was a 21, 22-year-old kid, and that is the last thing you want to hear, especially when all your friends are running around, playing football, doing stuff. So um, I, there wasn't a choice, really. I had to go in for the operation. Yeah. Um, they found a the, the neurosurgeon wasn't confident performing the procedure. Um, his confidence was obviously in brain surgery, not spine surgery. They did mm -hmm. find another doctor who was experienced in spine surgery, mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for that doctor because he ended up removing both tumours at once. Um, so I had pretty much two procedures in one. So I had about 70 staples in my spine. It was a nine-hour surgery at Royal North Shore Hospital. That's in Sydney, and. I woke up and I couldn't feel anything from my belly button down. That was pretty much the start of being diagnosed as a paraplegic. Mm -hmm. um, I spent about five, five weeks in hospital. Um, that was because there wasn't a spot available at a local rehabilitation clinic called Royal, North, oh, Royal Ride Rehabilitation Centre. Uh, that's basically where you go to learn how to live your life as a paraplegic, incomplete yeah. paraplegic, brain injury. Uh, there's lots of different uh, people that go there with a diverse range of issues, um, quadriplegics. Mm -hmm. um, they turned out to be probably the most inspirational people I've ever met. But that, that's a, a later story that I'll go into. <laughs> I'm happy to go into. Um, after five weeks, um, I was transferred to uh, Royal North Shore Rehabilitation Centre, where they discuss goals, uh, what you want to be able to achieve. Um, obviously, they were pretty certain that I was going to spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair, so public transport, um, going through shopping centres, going up and down lifts, escalators, all that type of stuff, just, just mm -hmm. learning how to live your life in a wheelchair. Um, I turned out that I started getting the feeling back in one of my legs. Um, so one of my legs was okay, kind of. Uh, the other the other leg was just shot. Nothing was going to happen with that leg. Um, and it's not too good now, but I ended up recovering to the point where I drove myself home from, from rehab. So I ended up walking again, thanks to the people in rehabilitation. Um, I spent 13 weeks there, so three months. I came home a few days home before Christmas in 2012. Um, my balance is still very shit um, mm -hmm. on my walking. So one leg is weaker than the other, but it turns out I could walk again. But 
yeah, it was a, definitely the biggest challenge to overcome because I was... The, the reason why is I was playing football when I was 16. Um, after a brain surgery, I was told I couldn't play football again. I couldn't. I ended yeah. up going back and playing when I was about 20. Yeah. Uh, but due to the spine playing up, I couldn't. Yeah. A, uh, a oh, quick question, uh, just for, for clarity's sake, sure. since uh, I'm in the U.S. When you say football, uh, you're talking about uh, what is often referred to as soccer here in the U.S. Is that correct? Oh, soccer, football. No, actually, I played over here in Australia. Aussie rules is what I played. Um, and that's um, Australian rules football, um, not soccer. I played right. soccer when I was little, but I had AFL or Aussie rules is a contact sport over okay. here. So I was playing contact sport again, um, obviously, when you've had brain surgery um, <laughs> and all the issues that come with VHL, it's probably not viable to play a contact sport. I, uh, um, I so played, I did go back. I was say, I, 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 oh, I played uh, I played American football and wrestled uh, all through high school and middle school. And uh, my, yes. my neurosurgeon, he, he screamed at me every time he saw me. And I'm just like, I'm a teenager. Like, I don't care if I have a tumor. Yes. Like, nothing in the world can stop me. I'm indestructible. Correct. <laughs> Agree. It's, um, yeah, you're definitely naive about what could go wrong, but it didn't stop me. The only thing that stopped me from playing what I loved was that spine tumor. Um, I ended up coming back after told I wasn't going to be allowed to play again um, after permission from my neurosurgeon from for insurance, insurance reasons, obviously, from the club point's perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, the last thing I wanted to do was see me get hit in the head on the field and die. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, towards the end of my last season, is I could I could tell that the spinal tumor was mucking up because my legs were getting weak. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't jump, obviously, that's an issue. And, yeah, I, I just couldn't go back again. So I, when I was actually in uh, rehabilitation, mm -hmm. um, I couldn't go back to what I normally went back to. So I actually studied my architectural diploma. So I thought if I couldn't use my body, I'd use my brain. So okay. I actually fast-tracked a lot of my a lot of studies here, did my architectural and building design diploma, and now I've used that for the rest of my career. So, that, so the biggest thing I've overcome there is not being able to do one thing, I suppose, with my body. Uh, my body said no, but, yeah, obviously I could still use my brain to, to help other people, and that's what I've done. Okay. That's... That's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really inspiring story, all in and of itself. Uh, but we like to go deep here. Uh, so um, a couple of things uh, uh, said to me. So um, you said around twenty one, twenty two, when the neurosurgeon called you and uh, and basically uh, said, um, you know, I can do the surgery, uh, but you, but you might not walk again. Um, uh, can you walk us through a little bit? Uh, you know, that, that was probably like, I, I'm assuming that that was one of the most, uh, real points uh, of your, uh, of your, uh, struggle with VHL. I know mine came at 23 when I had to have, told I had to have my first brain surgery. And so I'm assuming that was maybe, uh, from what you've been telling me, you're kind of your first, like, holy shit, this is, this is real. What was that decision like? The, the decision to, uh, um. <laughs> you know, like to, to know that. I might never walk again, uh, but but at the same time, I have this condition, this very real condition that's already affecting me. Oh God, um, yeah, I was I was scared shitless. Um, I remember <laughs> the phone call like yesterday, pretty much as when he told me over the phone. I could I could recall it very easily, but my walking wasn't very too good at the time. I was I was actually ironically I was seeing a psychologist at the time. Um, mm -hmm. The psychologist that I was seeing, discussing my issues, um, actually had um, multiple sclerosis. So she was in a wheelchair herself. So she could empathise with me more or less and talk me through the steps of, you know, I was becoming a paraplegic. I, I was almost to the point where I couldn't use my legs. I was holding onto things when I was walking. Um, I was counting my steps, which is a which is one thing when you start to realise that, you know, you, every. You can't walk normally. Um, everyone takes it for granted, but you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And when mm -hmm. you start going downhill, and you go downhill very fast, when you get one of these tumours, they get really aggressive towards the end, especially the ones in your spine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, once it gets aggressive, you go downhill really, really fast. And it was to the point where I could probably only go 10, 15 metres without wanting to sit down or hold on to something and stop and gain my thoughts before I kept going. So... Yeah, it's it was definitely 
pretty traumatic for a 21-year-old being told that, but you know, it was something I had to deal with at the time, and yeah, it was just, just something I didn't have a choice. That, that's why I seen a psychologist. I, I definitely needed to talk to somebody about it. You know, your family and friends can support you so much, but I definitely needed to talk to somebody about what I felt and how I, what I was about to go through. And um, I, I've still got the emails to what I sent her today mm-hmm. saved. Um, it's probably six months worth of emails because I emailed that psychologist not just before the surgery. Um, I, I sent her probably six times before, but I probably conversed and spoke to her till I came home from, from hospital. And she definitely helped me through it. It's, it's definitely important to talk to somebody yeah. about what you're going through. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Having that impartial observer, kind of kind of speak, like that person who doesn't, you know, who, who doesn't have to care about you because you're related, right, it, and also isn't afraid to tell you the hard truths because she doesn't have to, uh, you know, see you at Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter. Um, Correct. Like, it is it, hugely beneficial. Um, so before before you know you, you kind of uh experience those those really severe symptoms in your early 20s uh you know you, you spoke about the pain and the surgery you had to have um you know in your uh, mid-teens uh what were the years in between like you know you knew you had this thing right uh, mm. uh. but but how did you approach uh you know being proactive with it uh, versus reactive, um, you know, like how did you find out about the the recent the tumor in your spine that led to the, you know, uh, symptoms of twenty one, twenty two? You know, did it just creep up on you, or you, you know, what what were you doing in those years? Oh God, um, well, when I was about sixteen, seventeen, that's when the the bleeding in my spine happened. Um, mm-hmm. But as it it came to the point where I would put my leg, I, I would put the hot on it in a shower. I'd put my leg under that hot shower, and I wouldn't feel it. Uh, that's when I knew that something was wrong. Um, that that was the first thing. Um, and then the pain came where I couldn't even lie down. I couldn't move. I couldn't sit. I couldn't do anything uh, without severe pain. Um, my I seen, when I see my local doctor, he the the neurosurgeon put me on a painkilling drug called Tegretol, which took a while to kick in, which obviously helped with the pain, mm-hmm. uh, but it did not cure it. Trust me, it did not go away. <laughs> um, it slowly went away by itself. Um, so therefore, the tumours bled. It's obviously stopped bleeding, um, and the pain went away entirely. Um, I started exercising and moving normally. And it probably brought me another three or four years without any severe, any symptoms, basically, from spinal tumour. Um, it, it did hit me that, that year I returned to football. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end of the season, that's when I noticed I started getting slower. Um, my balance issues were back again. Mm-hmm. Um, the pain was coming back. Everything kind of hit me really fast. I'm talking within maybe four weeks. It, it all, I went downhill yeah. really, really quick. Yeah. So I think I finished playing football in August, and I had the operation in September. So at the end of the day, it happened very, very fast. That yeah, oh, that can, uh, that reminds me of my aunt. Um, like I said, uh, we got operated on the same the same day, same time in 2015, and uh, four weeks before my surgery, uh, we've been planning my surgery for months. Um, you know, and uh, four weeks before my surgery, she was fine, and uh, and the day of, she couldn't walk um, because of the brain tumor. There you go. Uh, yep, you go downhill very quick. These things uh, become very aggressive. They yeah, can. I agree with that. They, do you do you think your journey, you know, uh, would have been any different if you'd been a bit more proactive after the initial bleed and in that kind of calm period? They reckon I would have been worse. Um, the, the, I don't know, but due to maybe three or four year gap, the treatment got better. Um, the solutions were better with the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they operated on two in one. So at the end of the day, that tumor in my upper spine developed over those three or four years. Yeah. If that tumor, maybe I would have had to go in for one surgery when I was 16, one when, when I was 21, mm-hmm. if they were going to do two. So at the end of the All right, there we go. Uh, so we are we're back live here with the Overcoming Podcast with Aaron Oates. Uh, a bit of a technical difficulty there. Let's pray I can buy a new computer charger soon. Um, so you were telling us about um, kind of uh, how, how you were kind of lucky that you were able to do both the surgeries in one, uh, and kind of how. And you mentioned how you didn't really have a choice um, in doing the surgery. Oh, really? 
initially. Um, well, the alternative wasn't too good. Yeah. Um, we're just a, a little bit of a scenario here, but but I just I kind of want to get into your mindset of a of a twenty one twenty two year old. Um, I'm going through this year in that. Um, you know, it was very acute onset, and so you didn't have really much of a choice in how you handled that. Um, how would you have behaved differently if, um, say, it, it was slow onset three, four years, and they told you, um, you know, we could do this now, and you risk not walking, um, even if we do this now, or you can wait four years and we can do it then, and you're still going to risk not walking, but, you know, who knows what treatments are going to be out there. Uh, how how would that kind of, you, you know, like, if someone else is, is facing a, diff, a similar choice, you know, do I get help now? Do I wait? Um, you know, how would you have approached that? Oh, God, that's a good question. Um, I think I waited long enough. I think this, the time was then because I could tell how quickly I was going downhill. And if it wasn't as progressive, I think the decision was still going to be go through with the surgery um, because at the end of the day, it didn't just affect my walking. It, flecked, it, it affected my bladder control. It affected everything. Um, and it's, it wasn't just one aspect. It was a psychological thing, not just a physical thing. So, yeah, whether it was acute, um, whether it was... Yeah, the progress was slow. I think the decision to, to get the surgery then and there, you know, the timing is very important. Uh, I think mm -hmm. the, the neurosurgeon is pretty adamant towards me that all these surgeries, all these operations on VHL is all about timing. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, yeah, people can get radiation, but only if the tumour is a certain size. Yeah. Um, so, yes, that's one aspect of timing. Um, if a tumour grows too big, and, um, you know, it, it can be harder to operate on them. There's more things that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's no knowing how quickly they're going to grow. So, yeah, it, it's all about timing. And I'm pretty adamant that the timing then was it was now or never. Or if it yeah. was too late, it could have been permanent damage. So yeah. it's always best to, yeah, nip these things in the butt, yeah. I suppose, um, yeah, yeah, so when they tell you to, I suppose, because I'm, I'm no medical professional, but they asked mm -hmm. and they knew what I was talking about, and I trust Yeah, um, and, and just to kind of add some additional value for our viewers there, I think I uh, I agree with Aaron here a lot in that um, uh, be proactive in your care uh, and getting the help you need um, always, even if it's the smallest symptom. Um, in Aaron's case, uh, it, it progressed very, very quickly. It could have progressed slowly. Um, but, you know... Like at the first sign of symptoms, I, th I think uh, if you, if your body's trying to tell you something's wrong, you you, you should go get help. Um, or if something in your life, like if your mind is kind of flashing signals at you that that something's wrong, um, you should very, be very proactive. Um, don't don't tell yourself that um, you're weak for getting help, or um, you know it, it's strong. It's some like somehow if you're stoic about it. Um, you know, that, uh, that, that somehow makes the suffering easier. Uh, you know, because shit hits the fan kind of one way or the other. Um, you know, uh, but if you're very proactive about things, maybe you can, um, kind of control the fallout of that. Um, I know that from experience. I think Aaron, Aaron here is talking very much to how, how much being proactive about it uh, made a difference in his life. Um, so I think anyone listening, uh, definitely, like, if you're sensing anything, be proactive about getting the help you need. Um, yeah. So, so you had the surgery. It's a nine-hour surgery. That's just, ah, uh, that's brutal. Uh, nine hours on the table. Um, like, the, the pain from being on a table for nine hours alone can be... Uh, <laughs> like that was actually uh, for me the most painful part initially after my brain surgery was the giant bruise I had down my side from being on my side for six and a half hours um, and, and that, that alone but, uh, but the recovery uh, tell us a little bit about kind of you know what, what was the thing kind of the one, one or two things uh, you noticed in the recovery process that really challenged you um, that you know, you feel like you made a really, really good choice in 
you know, uh, in having this mindset or approaching it in this way or something you might have done a little bit differently? Well, the biggest, um, the best thing about the recovery was the goal setting. Um, that was definitely important. Having a big, you know, beginning with an end in mind, knowing that what I needed to achieve um, before I went home, uh, before I went back to normal life, because trust me, it's a lot easier in rehab because you have people there to support you and help mm-hmm. you, but when you go home, um, you don't. Not always, yeah. not as much. So um, the idea of rehabilitation is to, to set goals, um, you know, how to achieve those goals and have little goals along the way. So there's a big goal at the end. Um, my big goal was to go for a 20-minute walk around uh, the block where it was and in a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. um, whether that was with a walking frame, which is what I started with, to you know being able to walk without a walking frame. There was, there was, there was a mixture of about 10 goals that I had to achieve before I was discharged. Now, it wasn't a jail. I wasn't kept there. I could have left at any time, but at the end mm-hmm. of the day, they had... You know, the physiotherapist and everything help you through it. You've got physios, OTs, you, you have a massive support network. Um, and yeah, the little goals and the little wins that I got along the way is what helped me to being able to walk again. Okay, we're going to try this one more time and I'm going to avoid streaming it. Apparently, this thing just cannot do it without just crashing. I'm on a tablet. Right, it, and it's it's a relatively nice Surface tablet, but apparently just the the strain of the uh, fifteen time zone different uh, Facebook call and the streaming, the live streaming is just gonna be too much. So we'll uh, we'll just record the rest of it, <laughs> and uh, that's a good idea. And then uh, uh, I already have to figure out, I already have to edit together a few clips here, so we will get this worked out. Um, so, uh, at least the one nice thing about getting interrupted like that is I don't have to interrupt you. Uh, a thought I had while you were talking is, um, the thought, do you think, so you're talking about goals. Um, do you think the fact that you set those goals and were very, very focused on them, do you, do you think that played a big, like, do you think if you hadn't have had that? If you'd kind of gone into that rehab facility uh, having given up, um, do you think even with some the feeling of stuff returning into the one leg, do you think you would have been able to walk again, or do you think you'd be wheelchair bound still? Mm-hmm. at all the negative things, you're not being ungrateful, you're not thinking about what you can't do, you're always focused on what you can do. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the key to recovery. Uh, def- definitely gratitude, having yeah. an open mind and, and being empathetic towards other people, it's, it's, it's oh, yeah. crucial. I definitely, I actually, I want to stick on that point for a minute in, uh, in something I, I think people can find a ton of value in, in, in something I find a lot of people underestimate the value of. It, it's the perspective that gratitude brings you um like like the sheer like when you wake up every day and and you begin your day with gratitude 
Um, it's amazing um, the freedom you feel. Um, like the, the, the way in which life, like you're experiencing life, um, just doesn't feel as heavy. I guess like you, you don't feel quite the same burden that, that you used to. Um, like when you, when you start each day with that, that real feeling of gratitude and that's how you approach your life, I, I think it makes such a huge difference in what you're able to accomplish. Um, be, because no longer do, do the negatives, you know, uh, they aren't such big setbacks, right? They're just like your, your gratitude, like your happiness and your success isn't bound up in, in that one thing. Like you're already, you're already grateful and happy for what you have. Um, and I think right. that allows you to achieve so much more, um, than someone who's just, who's sitting there very just unsatisfied with their life and, and very, you know, just like, woe is me, you know? People like I like one of the reasons I started this. This is that I want people to realize like there's no I've never encountered a problem that someone's experiencing if it's hold that's too small. There's no such thing as like if it's holding you back from achieving what what you really want to achieve. It's it's not it's not small. Like that that's the biggest thing in the world to you. Um, and so like and so one thing I want to communicate is that you know like you had to recover from not being able to walk and to start walking again. Um, you know, and, and some people go through eating disorders, some people have alcoholism, and some people, you know, what someone what might look at their situation and be like, oh, well, look at what that guy went through. Like, I shouldn't feel this way. And the fact is, though, is that, like, if you're facing a problem, it, it's no small deal. Like, it's, most, it's no small thing to you. Um, and so... Sure. But the the skills that someone uses to overcome uh, being paralyzed and walking again, or or mm -hmm. to learn to live with being a quadriplegic, um, like those are the sk same skills you use to overcome uh, a, a invalidating work environment, right? Like it, it, it's 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 gratitude, right? It it's being proactive. Right, it it's setting goals for yourself, and and it's recognizing that um that you have to put in the work. Like if you're going to get better, or or achieve some sort of success, you have to put in the work. Um, and and I think that that's just that's really important for people to understand. Like like if you didn't set the goals, and you didn't push yourself to meet them, you might not be walking today, much less have achieved the other successes you've achieved. Um, it's definitely hard work. Definitely hard work. Lots of hard work. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so kind of going through your story here, then, um, you know, basically uh, acute onset tumor, you can't walk at 21, 22 years old. Uh, you go through surgery, you have to go through months of rehab to even just walk again. Um, Correct. And and so now now you're you're walking, you're, you're home for right around Christmas time and you're walking, um, it's still a struggle, but you're doing it. Um, what were the, what were, were the next few years like? Like what were like the next two or three years like for you? Like after very interesting. <laughs> gone through that experience? Um, very interesting. Um, obviously after going through rehab, there was a set, there was a number of skills that I obviously had when it comes to, to rehabilitation. Um, mm -hmm. In that condition, and it was ongoing. Rehabilitation, I think, isn't coming out of something you can think, okay, I'm okay now, I can live the rest of my life normally. I think rehabilitation is something that you need to adopt for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. um, and th that's what I do. I, I am doing, I'm still doing the, doing the same type of rehabilitation, still setting goals, still exercising, and now I'm 29. Now that's that's about six or seven years later. So I. I exercise regularly. Um, about four days a week, I go to the gym and do all my rehabilitation exercises. Still, um, to this day, I ironically um, was at the gym one day and I came across a, an older gentleman who happens to be one of the fittest seniors in Australia. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, he was a Czech coach. Now, over in the US, there's a gentleman by the name of Paul Czech, and Paul Czech is a holistic lifestyle coach and a practitioner that I studied under. 
and it gives you a holistic approach to life. Now, that gave me a more open mind, um, gave me access mm -hmm. to other holistic treatments, alternative treatments, not just the conventional ones where surgery is not the only option to live mm -hmm. uh, a healthy lifestyle. Um, obviously, eating well, um, sleeping well, you know, looking at every aspect of your life. Now, yes, I've got a genetic mutation, mm -hmm. and that's not... You know, that's not a cure, but it's definitely yeah. um, makes you live with the, but, the condition. But attending to your better. but attending to your body's needs in the best way possible sets yeah. you up for success. Well, I'm not immune to anything else. So at the end of the day, I was like, okay, I've got VHL, but I don't want anything else to go wrong. Um, mm -hmm. There's enough shit to deal with, and I'm not going to try and attract anything else to my life. So at the end of the day, I thought, what could I manage? You know, no, mm -hmm. I can't manage VHL. This condition. But yes, I can manage every other part of my life as, to the best of my ability. Yeah. So I, I went away, um, I studied holistic lifestyle coaching um, for myself, probably not to coach other people, but to, for my own well-being. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I had, I had a good six-year run. I have surgery recently, but that was a, a small hiccup. But you know, mm -hmm. having that, uh, that holistic approach to your lifestyle and adopting that approach for the rest of your life, I think that's so important yeah. and it's helped me. In so oh, many different ways. I definitely, I definitely agree. I, I think very much being mindful and attending to the needs of your body um, is something I am just starting to do now, uh, and I'm still struggling with. Uh, but it's definitely something where, like, like that's what's gonna like re control the things you can control, and and let be the things that you can't. And so I think a real there were two really important piece you talked about there there's a holistic approach right that that controlling you know what i eat the exercise i do the you know uh the thoughts that are running through my mind like taking control of my mind and things like that that's so huge and then another part was the acceptance uh the fact that uh you have vhl and that's and that's just a fact right this is something you have but it doesn't have to like and you have to deal with it you have you can't you know ignore it Right, like it's not something you can you can pretend this doesn't affect me, but it doesn't have to define you. I, I think which is is something that's huge, and I think that I can apply to any any sort of struggle that you're facing is that um, control what you can control, change what you can change, and then accept what you can can't, and then don't let that thing define you. Uh, that doesn't have to define how, like it's going to dictate certain things about your life. Right, like I, I go through in the U.S. medical care is obscenely expensive, so I go through about twenty-five thousand, twenty-five to thirty thousand U.S. dollars um, of preventative treatment and scans annually. Right? right, that's just a fact. That's just a fact of my life, um, and so that, that's something. That's a way that it dictates my life. That's something I have to do, and I have to financially plan for those things and do that. But outside of those four days a year, if I don't have to have a surgery. Then, you know that the that's three hundred and sixty-one other days of the year that my life isn't defined by or controlled by that illness, and Correct. Yeah. and so attend to what needs to be attended to. Obviously, you know, don't like me in my teens and early twenties. I pretended I wasn't sick, mm -hmm. right? Like, like that's that's not what we're what I think you and I are talking about. It it's. It's very much attend to what needs to be attended to, treat things seriously that need to be treated seriously, um, but don't let them define you. And, and I think that's a really Correct. powerful, powerful message. Um, Correct, I agree, hundred percent. And so, and so, yeah. So, it's amazing how much that's been able to do for you in the past couple of years. I can see it's amazing what, what that started to do for me just in the past year. Um, <laughs> and so. Uh, gosh, and so, like, you've achieved so much. Um, you're, you're 29 years old, I'm 26 years old, and, and I'm just like, damn. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we're both still pretty young. Um, and so you, you've achieved some pretty decent success so far. Um, but, uh, a big part of this is it, uh, of this show is, uh, the process of continuing to overcome and continuing to achieve that success. So um, I, I'm not super into five or ten year plans, uh, but what's something you have kind of in your uh, sights for the next uh, one to two years uh, as kind of like a, real, a big goal for you, a big success point for, for you? 
that uh, that you're really kind of striving for here? Um, a recent thing that, that's probably going to leave into the next thing, I suppose. Um, I'm very family orientated. Um, recently, I probably yeah, it, November last year, um, I went through IVF PGD, and we had our first child due to that process free of EHL. So congratulations. Long story cut short. <laughs> long story cut short. Um, yeah, it would be it would be nice to have another child via that that procedure um, to stop basically to protect the next generation from VHL. No, we can't mm. cure it, but yes, we can protect the next generation. We we can stop it. We can't cure uh, it, but we can that, stop it. That's something. And I think that's important. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, that's something I can definitely uh, identify with. It's something uh, my wife and I, my uh, wife and I were married uh, in July of 2016, and uh, and that's something we're looking at uh, in the next three to four years. Is uh is the IVF uh and uh and trying to figure out how how we can make that work, um so so congratulations on on one being able to uh to Thank afford you. it and and make it work, um like that's amazing and congratulations to even having a child uh like that that's definitely uh that's a bit farther down the line for me uh just because of uh certain limitations we have financially but. Yeah, uh, that, that's that... financially. Yeah, it's it's expensive here in Australia as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can't imagine the uh, the pride and in, in, in the joy that that comes in in then looking at that at that in your future. <laughs> um, oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, gosh, like that that alone is enough to look forward to over the next one to two years. Uh, but just because I'm a little bit greedy, uh, what's something professionally? Uh, or I guess uh, you know you said you have your own business, uh, but you're also um, you know, this project manager, um, but you're also, you know, you're speaking uh, in regards to VHL, like do you have any plans becoming any sort of advocate oh. or any business plans that you're thinking of or, you know, just, just I, like I said, I'm greedy. <laughs> no, you're right, you're right. No, I, I think it's fine. Well, I suppose spreading VHL awareness is important um, and spreading awareness of the fact that, you know, that there is an opportunity now due to, it's more or less educating people over... There is medical advancement, so we're in, we're in the, the the day and age of medical treatment advancing so good. Recovery is better, um, and what we can do now to what people could do 20 years ago is is so different. And, and mm -hmm. we're in such a better situation now, and it's about educating people that to have an open mind and you know question everything. Don't mm -hmm. don't think that if a doctor tells you you need to get surgery or you know, being misdiagnosed, for example, if one doctor tells you that, oh, you've had a stroke, yet you've got a massive brain tumour, like my mother maybe three years ago was told she had a stroke, yet she had a tumour, um, and then prior to that she was treated for science, you know, it's it's being able to, and having the confidence to question everything. And I think educating people over that, maybe not for just for the next couple of years, for the rest of my life, is very important. Um, professionally, yeah, I'd like to grow my business, obviously, um, and help as many people as I can. So... You know, I suppose that's important. I haven't got any plans in place at the moment. I think, you know, I just got out of my latest surgery, so at the end of the mm -hmm. day, you know, I'm still recovering because that was only eight weeks ago. So oh. it's it, it's basically spending as much time as I can with my family, enjoying what I do day to day, which I do now, um, mm -hmm. educating as many people as I can to, to have an open mind um, that, that are open to me talking to them about having an open mind. Some people don't have an open mind. Some people just... <laughs> will only go down one route, and mm -hmm. that's the medical route, where I understand that there is two options. Um, yeah, it's that that's me for the next couple of years. I haven't got a 10-year plan, but uh, <laughs> I plan to live to 100, so <laughs> there's, there's, I've got lots of time left. Yeah, we have lots of time. I, I like to... Uh, uh, I follow a, uh, a serial entrepreneur, and uh, some would call him a motivational speaker, but his name is Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm not sure if you've come across him uh, I know him Gary very well. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, but it's this idea that, um, like, I'm 26 years old, you're, you're 29 years old. Take all the time we've lived and double it, and uh, we're still mm -hmm. young as fuck. <laughs> Correct. Yes, we are still young. Yes, now I watch all of Gary's uh, you know, Gary episodes and everything, and, you know, he, he's yeah. exactly right. We're, we're still very, very, very young. Yeah, like... So if I've started something now, I know that in 20 years' time, you know, I could grow that thing to be to be something a lot greater. Exactly. You know, like, 20... I double my life right now. I'm only 52. Right? Like, that's... 
like so, there's so many years left and so off. And so don't worry about 10 year plans. You have time. Um, there's a couple of things. Uh, I want to get your opinion uh, on. Uh, this is just something for me. Uh, a recent treatment I, I've been following, uh, potential treatment for VHL. Uh, that, that's kind of for me, and uh, I want to make sure we uh, get to all the, the fun little juicy things for uh, for you um, before we cut out again. Um, and so um, this is Aaron Oates. Uh, you can uh, check him out at facebook.com slash O-A-T-S-E-Y 12. Uh, Instagram.com slash Design right underscore Australia. Is that uh, is that your business? Correct. Awesome. Uh, if you're in Australia, or I, I guess you could possibly do something for anyone else around the world, uh, especially in the top five uh, English-speaking countries, uh, go ahead and check that out. Give it a follow. A uh, LinkedIn um, slash uh, Aaron Oates, A-A-R-O-N-O-A-T-O-A-T-E-S, 1988. Um, he'll be speaking at the uh, Sydney Neuro Oncology Group, uh, November 11th, I believe. That's a Saturday. That's the yeah. It'll be the Sunday here. So then, oh, hang on, no, that's correct. You are correct. Sorry, November 11th, correct. November 11th, the Saturday here. Uh, it uh, for all those who aren't aware of huge time zone differences, it's Wednesday where Aaron is, and so that's uh, that's three days away. Uh, four days if you're listening here in the U.S. where it's Tuesday. Um, so. Um, if you're in the, the Sydney area, uh, wherever you're at, go ahead and, uh, and show up there, listen to Aaron speak. Um, and, uh, one, fi uh, final thing, Aaron, I suppose is, um, is there anything else you kind of like any advice you want to give, uh, anything else that you kind of want to impart upon people, um, that we haven't touched on? Oh, God, not really. Um, purely just the gratitude. You, you need to train your psychology to experience gratitude. I think, um, you know, for, for every perspective you take in as many situations as possible is important. Um, that's, yeah, it, it's, it's learning how to be grateful in every moment will allow you to see more of what's already there and less of what you think you're lacking. So be, be happy for what you've got. That, like, there's no, no better advice in the world uh, that I could give. And so, uh, so that's amazing uh, here with Aaron. Uh, if you're uh, new to the podcast, uh, be sure to uh, follow, subscribe, turn on notifications, like wherever you're viewing this, whether it's Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. Uh, we can be found on all those platforms. Uh, it's the Overcoming Podcast with Caleb Van Vorn. Uh, at Overcoming PC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Overcomingpc at gmail.com for any contact information. Um, 